Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is Central Texas Life with Ann Harder. Hello, everybody. Ann Harder here. What a joy it is to welcome J.D. Hinton to the podcast. Dave Hinton, I've known him for many, many years from yes. our days at WACO. Right. Well, in fact, we never worked at WACO together. Not at the same time. Not at the same right. time. No, a lot of the same people yes. have just been friends for a long time. You uh, left in the old days, went to California. I did. To make your mark as a Hollywood actor and now musician, singer, songwriter. And we've got a lot to talk about. So buckle up and get ready. <laughs> Dave, it's just so good to have you it's back in Central Texas. First of all, I say you are back in Central Texas because your sweet daddy has just turned 102. My dad turned 102 on the 22nd of February. Pretty amazing. It is extremely amazing yeah uh his you know his life has kind of taken you full circle in a way really too. as a pastor he was at one time pastor at uh, first baptist woodway first baptist woodway from like 1960 to, through the end of 68 i think maybe 1969 they moved down to temple yeah. In fact, I, I saw a little a little clip from, uh, I guess, the news, maybe the church newsletter, I don't know, where you, you were described as singing in a in a Christmas cantata, cantata. A cantata, as we used to call them. Yeah. And you think that maybe that was your first per performance? I think that's on? the first time I sang in public <laughs> like that. It's not like you don't sing in, right. in church occasionally in Sunday school or, or something. But yeah. uh, no, that was the first time they went, okay, and you're going to do, you'll be in this trio and you have a little solo right here. And I, and I thought, okay, let's go. <laughs> let's, let, let's do it. Well, so uh, fast forward a little bit, you go to Baylor. Yep. And uh, you study, what did you study at Baylor? You know, at Baylor, I started out as a radio TV major and a journalism major. And I uh -huh. figured out in the first semester, I did not need to be a journalism major. <laughs> I had no talent. And in the first year, I'd been working at WACO for a couple of years already. So I thought, this is probably not a good degree for me. Uh, and so I chose to... Uh, study marketing, and mm -hmm. I went to Hankamer School of Business. That's right. I think, didn't you have a class with my dad? Your dad taught me two classes. Really? Uh, Charles Wells taught economics. And for some odd reason, he liked me, so I was that was a good <laughs> class for me. Well, he, he loved his students. Yeah, he was a great uh, teacher, say, and yeah. one of my highlights of, of that uh, school experience is your dad. So. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, um, sweet days at Baylor. Um, but then you've decided to make your mark in California. Is that how that happened? T toward the end of my Baylor years, uh, I'd met a fellow who was in a band. I'd met a fellow at Baylor who left Baylor his sophomore year and went and joined a band and he was out on the West coast and he oh. called up at, and I was still working at the radio station in the, I'd go to Baylor in the morning and do the radio station. I did the same thing. Yeah. 
and um, he called up and said, "There's a, there's a, sh- there's a radio station in Sacramento that cannot find the guy they're looking for. Send them a tape." And I'd never sent anybody a tape. I'd never tried to get another job because I was going to Baylor. Yeah. And uh, sent off the tape, and they hired me. And so, like two weeks later, I was sitting in Sacramento. And from there, I mean, you met a lot of people. Uh, Anita Garner, uh, who I've uh, had on this right. podcast, but wonderful. She's a writer and writer great story. And she she has. has a broadcasting background as well, and she worked at that radio station after I left there. Uh-huh. So K- kind of like me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, but at the radio station, in addition to having a disc jockey show where you play the records for the three or four hours you were on the air, I was the music director at that radio station. So I got. All the mail from all the record companies and all the phone calls and all the lunches where people were saying, we've got something that we want you to hear. It's brand new. I want you to play it. So I met guys in the record business. And uh, after a couple of years in Sacramento, I thought it's time for me to move to L.A. And that's how I got to L.A. from Waco through Sacramento and through the record business. Yeah, yeah, I got got your feet wet and, and made a lot of great contacts, I'm sure. So you're in Hollywood now. Um, still doing radio, is that right? I uh, not not anymore. But you mean when I first got there? Uh-huh. When I first arrived, I'd planned to not do radio anymore. But after I got there and was there about six months, people were saying, you know, you might get a job. And uh, so I started. Uh, I ended up and I took a job on an R and B radio station, and I worked midnight to five mm. for five years. Wow! The first five years I was there, but it was great. overnights for that long. Yeah, it was pretty. Oof. It was interesting for me, uh, but it gave me a, it 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 gave me time to develop all the contacts and to go to the acting classes and to get better and to get a resume as an actor, and uh, so it worked out really. It was an important time in my life to have that job, and it was also a job I could really do based on my history in radio. So, mm-hmm. so the first five years I was in town, I was midnight to five. So when did the acting bug? hit you land when did you decide you wanted to you know pursue acting my plan when i first arrived in la because of my background with radio and my love of music was to come in and write songs Mm -hmm. and uh, i had four or five people in the um, record business that i knew and i would and they would say what are you going to do and i said well i'm going to write songs and then i'm going to sing songs and then i'm going to act because that would help make all that bigger uh and somebody, uh, Rick Nelson was one of the people that I knew, and he sent me immediate. He just turned all that around, and I got a meeting with a Paramount uh, Studios casting director who was meeting me because she had been asked to meet me. Mm-hmm. But in that meeting, she said, here's somebody that likes to work with young people. <laughs> and uh, I called that. That turned out to be a fellow, and he had an agency, and he, was, he said, I'll represent you. And so within two weeks of being in Los Angeles, I had an agent, and I that was pretty great. That's amazing. I just didn't know how you would ever do that work, but suddenly two weeks there, I've got a guy who's saying, I'll represent you, and I said, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And it takes longer than that two weeks to make stuff kind of go on, but that at least got me started, so that's kind of the answer mm-hmm. to your question, is that mm-hmm. that started that, and the first audition I got uh took about nine months to get that first audition. Oh. But in that first audition, I got the part. Uh, I, it was a part in a TV show called Police Woman. 
Mm-hmm. And I Angie was Dickinson. with Angie Dickinson. And so I went and auditioned and I got it. And that's when I decided this might actually work out if I applied myself. So mm-hmm. that's where it started. That's fabulous. So that's the first thing you did. I know you had told me you also were on the, what, the second episode of Mork and Mindy? Yeah. yeah a, a few years later, uh, with every six month period, more stuff happened and more auditions. Yeah, and people more th- start you know, calling st- 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 and yeah. things start going on. So in, uh, in 19, well, anything with 19 in front of it now tells you that it's a long time ago. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Uh, uh, but Mork and Mindy had just been, uh, gone into production. It was the first season. They hadn't gone on the air yet. And I got an audition and it was at Paramount Studios again. And, uh, I got the role playing Mindy's boyfriend. Oh. And it was, I'd been in acting, I'd been in comedy class a little bit. And in the comedy classes, Robin Williams was always in those classes. Yeah. He, he wasn't in my class. He would just come to every class. And uh, I had decided after watching him work two or three times, uh, I needed to be a dramatic actor. <laughs> He, what was he intimidating uh, in well, his he's, his he's, mania? I mean, everything, he just... everything that we've all loved about Robin uh, along yeah. the way was evident every time he got up to do an exercise in acting class, and he'd do it, and you'd go, oh, "He's so good," and nobody knew who he was at the time. Yeah. So when I got the Mork and Mindy show, uh, when I got that episode, uh, I knew what to expect, but the, they have an audience for the taping, and the show hadn't been on the air yet, and I thought, I don't know if the audience is going to get him or not but they got him <laughs> right away yeah it was great beloved yeah, yeah he he was beloved for sure um lots of other shows though back yeah. in those days yeah. mary hartman mary hartman that's one that's a definite blast from the past it's funny how things turn out and especially over time how things uh endure because the name mary hartman mary hartman for a lot of people does endure it's a norman lear show yeah and norman lear has has uh you know, he's going to be one of the uh, faces on the Mount Rushmore of Hollywood TV. <laughs> That's so. true. That's true. Anyway, so it was great to work with him, and it was a great chance to be on a show that was groundbreaking at the time. Uh, it was different. It's very different, and which meant there were no rules, which saved my, saved me a lot because I thought, even if I'm bad, they won't know because everything works on <laughs> everything. this show. That's right. So that's funny. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, let's see some of the other right. Galaxina. I don't uh, think I remember that one. Galaxina was a movie that came out in nineteen. Well, I think it it came out in nineteen eighty. Mm-hmm. It uh, and and it's bittersweet memory for me because it was a lovely experience to do, and I became you become friends with everybody that you work with. So the whole cast obviously got close, and the the. The female star of that was was a lady named Dorothy Stratton, and the and she was murdered later that year by. Oh, it was that year. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that long I ago. I know. Yeah, it, it's Gosh. a long time ago. But uh, well, you know, kind of when we were doing it, it was also trying to. Uh, make fun of Star Wars and all the space movies. It was a little bit of a spoof. It was a total spoof. And I thought if it's going to work, it'll work as a cult movie with spoof <laughs> and it'll be fun. And then, you know, uh, the, the sad events happened around Dorothy. And uh, so that just thoroughly threw everything kind of yeah away. But it is 
it is a cult movie, and, and people are still finding it, but more because the connection based but, on her. Yeah, based on her. Um, so you did, what, did you do more television than you did movie acting? I think, I, I, uh, yeah, I never did a lot of movies. I did a lot more television. Uh, did you like one better than the other? I just, think. Uh, just worked out that way? I don't, I think that the way that it works, or at least what, what works for me is is you have to have uh, people representing you. And sometimes their strength is in one area and more so in this area than in this area. And my the people that represented me were always really good with uh, television shows mm-hmm. and not so much in the film industry. And certainly in the commercial industry, I had a great series of... You did a lot of commercials. Tremendous commercial agents. And so, uh, yeah, that was... But that's to your point. It depends on who you're, who's, who's with you as to kind of how what your opportunities are going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, any like particular favorite projects you, you worked on of any, of any of it really? You know, I, I the, the things that were favorites to me, you know, obviously Mork and Mindy would always be a favorite because of, of, because of Robin. And it was a, a, a fun thing at the time. I did a TV movie uh, called uh, the young Indiana Jones, uh, uh, there was a TV series. There was a TV series for a minute called "The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles." I remember, yeah. And <clears throat> when ABC or whatever the network decided they wanted to cancel it, mm-hmm. George Lucas still had, I don't know, two or three of those scripts around, and he wanted to make TV movies out of them. So he did, and I got to be in one of those. And man, was that great fun! Yeah. What What role did you play? What I were you? Played the, the the scenario was uh, that young Indy, which means, you know, like a 22-year-old version of mm-hmm. the Harrison Ford character right. that we'd come to know. Uh, young Indy goes to Hollywood in the in that era and uh, on some sort of, for some sort of reason, but gets involved with uh, John Ford making a movie. So the director, John Ford, Universal Studios, there's a bunch of, so it's all, I think the whole, I think the... Um, um, the title of the piece is The Hollywood Follies. Hmm. So you can go to The Hollywood Follies, Young Indiana Jones on your search engines and, and see what this is. But So Young Indiana shows up and, and John Ford and Harry Carey, who I played Harry mm-hmm. Carey, oh, okay. are going to go out Very to the good. desert and shoot a western. And so for a, uh, for a guy from Waco, Texas in Hollywood <laughs> to get to go play Cowboys was great fun. It was really terrific. So you know, ride horses too, or well, yes. What that was one of the questions in the. In the <laughs> do, one, do you ride? Yes. Well, and that's also so in in, in auditions, uh, especially if because I grew up in Texas, I'd get a lot of Texas kind of characters, yeah. and they would ask questions like, "Do you ride a horse? Do you ride horses?" And I always thought that was a trick question, because. I've never had a horse, but I've ridden horses all my life because friends had them and you get on them. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know what that meant. But I learned to say, so in that audition for that role, the casting director said, and do you ride horses? And I said, they don't let you west of El Paso unless you can ride a horse. That's my standard answer. <laughs> I have no idea what they're really asking, but it makes them happy to know that I'm really confident around horses. So in in the... Uh, in the actual production, there's a play, there's a scene where, in, where she, it's, it's a movie within a movie. And uh, 
I have to kiss the girl, get on the horse, and ride into the sunset. Really? No kidding. Oh, it was fabulous. Got to look this and, up. And, and, and so in the where we were at the time, it was the middle of the day, and I went to one of the production people, and I said, well, if we're going to do this, it's going to be probably, we got to wait five or six hours for it to be sunset. Sunset, yeah. And they said, oh, no. And they pointed off in the distance, and there was a, a little range of mountains that had a little dip in it. And they said, if you'll ride into the center of that dip, George Lucas will build you a sunset. We'll, we'll take care of that, yeah. And I went, oh, <laughs> Oh, never the magic of, of movies. So yeah. that was great. So anyway, it was, yeah, so you get on the horse and you ride. And... <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I mean, we could talk on and on and on about about your um, your acting career. The most recent thing you've done, you mentioned Reese Witherspoon. I, I, just, I did we... something. The morning show is, is kind of a new thing that's out, and, and uh, I worked with Reese on the first episode of that yeah. uh, where they were establishing all of their characters to get their thing off the ground. And some friends from here just recently tuned it in. And so I got emails going, I just saw you in. And I'm going, yeah, I know. I'm in it this long, but I am in it. <laughs> well, that yeah, that's great. What you're doing, though, now um, is really your passion, and that's right. music. Right. And you say you weren't any good at journalism, but you were an amazing writer. You're a poet. I mean, you're... You really reach deep and, and I, convey I dis- with I dis- words. I so, yeah, you're that. a journalist. I discovered that. Yeah. Uh, I did not know that at the beginning. And, and whatever the disciplines were of, of journalism when I was an 18-year-old kid went over my head. Uh, and But, yeah, if I were to go back today and uh, apply to be a journalism major, I'd bring a lot more to the party than I had at the time. But it took me a while to understand uh, that I really, that I write and that I actually write all the time. Like we're sitting here talking and I'm making notes in the back of my head for three Mm -hmm. more things I'm going to write when we finish here, Mm -hmm. you know? So, Mm -hmm. but it, it took living life to discover that. And, um, so yeah. Hi, this is Sarah. And I'm Carter. And this is Some of Our Thoughts. We're two Southern sommeliers, and we want to share everything we love and know about wine. We started hanging out during quarantine and cooking and drinking and listening to music, and we just thought this would be a great way to bring everything we know to you guys. We will make wine knowledge and food pairings easy and approachable. So put on your favorite vinyl, grab your favorite glass of wine, tune into our show, and let's have some fun. Wine Wine and vinyl. vinyl. (laughs) So check us out on roguemedianetwork.com or wherever you get your favorite podcast. We'll be talking about a lot. Hey y'all, I'm April. Hi, I'm Caroline. And we have a new podcast for you. What's it called, Caroline? Uh, Bloody Happy Hour. It's going to be your new favorite guilty pleasure. We're going to talk about some bloody stuff. Serial killers. True crime. Rape. <laughs> Rapists. Why not join us? We'll have a good time. 
You literally never know. I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> Bloody happy hour. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to One Star Rewind, a new podcast about those dreaded one-star reviews that every business owner hates to receive, but yet every customer loves to read. During this podcast, we will peel back that one-star review to better understand how it happened, when it happened, and what the business owner is doing after receiving that one-star review. This podcast will be about love, hate, and laughter. On One Star Rewind, we will meet with real business owners will tell their stories and how they do rely on reviews for their business. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or download us at roguemedianetwork.com. Please subscribe, but only rate and review for not a one-star review. Join us each time for a new review and a new story. Yeah, so the music part, um, did you, as a little kid, take piano? I mean, what or guitar, what is your kind of instrument I had background? piano lessons since the first grade yeah. for about eight years, so really early in my life. Mm-hmm. But there's a, uh, a, a teacher here in Waco that taught a lot of theory with her classes, Mrs. J.W. Osley. I was going to say Ms. Osley, yeah. And she was tremendous, and, and she would, you know, it would make her laugh to know that I really did come away with a lot because I think I was her worst student ever. But uh, I learned a lot of theory and stuff from her. Um, And so I learned things on piano. When I went to Baylor, I had a roommate who had a guitar, and I decided I would pick up the guitar and try to figure out how to make that work. Mm -hmm. And learning both instruments taught me how to write songs. I did not, the, the, the piano for me was too literal. It was too much of of the, where the notes were on the page and how you performed those notes. The guitar was all chords, and it was just chord relationships. Mm-hmm. So And you can put your melody you anywhere fo- in between. Yeah, once you, again, that, well, that's what people always talk about, especially like country music. It's three chords and the truth. Right, right. Or four chords and the truth. And so once you learn two or three chords and you can kind of make that work, your melodies start fitting over that. Mm-hmm. And then with... The theory stuff that I had behind me, it was easy to just adapt all that. So guitar opened up uh, my musicality, and the theory that I got from piano helped underpin that. So, Yeah, uh, I like hearing you talk about your process. I'm always fascinated with people who are creatives and how they have an idea, right? and then it becomes something fully produced in a studio. It's not automatic. It's 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 not. Uh, and fortunately for me, there's no wrong answers. Yeah. So if you do something and you don't like it, you can go back to where you started that, and you can move that aside and and go somewhere else. It feels a lot to me like it's a little bit like improv as an actor. Uh, uh, but you know, like the like the the. Uh, 
the game where we mirror each other's hands and mm-hmm. we move. Well, you yeah. don't know where it's going to move next, like, but you follow. Mm-hmm. Well, you're... My creative instincts are a little bit like that, so uh, or it may be like the game where I say cat and you say mouse, yeah, and we move Whatever, on from there. Up. So mm-hmm. I'll get a note, or I'll get a melody, or I'll get a word, and it just layers together. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody like Leonard Cohen, who's a great writer can write 50 verses of the song Hallelujah. Oh, yeah, and there are that many verses. And when I figured out that guys that wrote like that wrote a lot more than they needed, it taught me don't stop when you've got three verses. Write 10 verses and pick the stuff that you like. the ones you like, yeah. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting thing. Anyway, but the creativity keeps, if it flows at all, then there's always a way that you look at it and you go, oh, you know, that would. what if we we move that over here? Mm-hmm. Where you go. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, some of the things that have been written uh, about you, uh, you were described as one of the last great romantics by Fayette Hauser, uh, writing his voice is low and rumbly, each song a small poem, a vignette of love lost and found, regrets and humor. It was great, was yeah. the comment. Uh, I... Uh... I'm honored that anybody pays enough attention to write anything along, along, especially along those lines. When Fayette said, you're the last of the great romantics, she had seen a couple of shows, and, and, uh, and I went and talked to her, and I said, but this song and this song are kind of edgy songs. And she looked at me like, yeah. <laughs> Threaded through that is kind of who you are. Sure. And, and there's there's a uh, well that's in all of your music I think it's a it's yeah. and you don't know that you know I'm not trying I'm not tr- it's not a conscious thing hmm. you're just kind of moving along and you're doing stuff and so you write something and when you finish you go oh I I know when I make a let's say a poetic turn that that becomes really sensitive and I'm going okay I I can see the romance in this but if I'm really trying to be ornery and stuff like this I'm going but she she's up no 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 your songs are romantic songs and I was like. Okay. So you have favorite musicians you like to work with in studio? Or you just kind of pull people together? To, well, it, it, depends, you know it depends on the year and the project. You know, sometimes people are not available when yeah. the next time that you want to do something. And um, typically over my time in Los Angeles doing music, yes, I found people I like to work with. And then when you get into the studio with other people who are also making decisions, uh, like I'm working with a new producer uh, by the name of Justin Glasgow over the last couple of years. Glasgow. Yeah. How interesting Very is that? Very similar, yes. I know. <laughs> I know. Kind of in, inside. I know. Very inside, but 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 we're having That's, a really good time. That, we're time. having a good time. You can yeah, see we this, know. We you know. can see this on the bibliography when, <laughs> when this all goes down. Uh, oh, so my Justin, goodness. you know, Justin will get to a place and, and uh, he'll say, okay, we're, we need to add guitars to this. Who do you know? Because yeah. he wants to know who I know, and mm-hmm. I know some really great guitar players. Yeah. So I'm about to go. Well, but Justin is—he's uh, in—he's younger than I am, so he knows a whole different strata of mm-hmm. people than I know, just based on his age. And I'm—I met people at this time in Hollywood, and he's met all these people since, et sure. cetera. Yeah. And and so. I'll go, well, I'm, who do you know? And he says, well, I can think of three guys that might work for this song. 
And I said, bring in whoever you want to bring in. Yeah. And so typically he will defer to me if I want somebody. And then once we worked with somebody that w- worked out really well, he'll remember the next time we get into that question. Mm-hmm. You like this guy. Let's bring in him again. I'm going, great. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about some of your um, songs specifically. One that really, in fact, it was the first one I saw of your of your music videos. And that's, I guess, a whole nother layer, when, another layer. when you're right. you're doing the the visual of it, and it's uh, Mulholland Drive. Wow. That really moved me. At the, I was surprised, too. I mean, watch it, I'm watching it, listening, and this is good, this is good. And then at the end, I'm like, ah, I'm crying. I really, literally was crying. Well, that makes sense. And that, it, that surprised me, but it was great. <laughs> well, that means a lot It was great, and it felt like I had taken a trip to L.A. to Mulholland Drive. You uh, just made my day, so I'll, you know, I can sit here for the next 10 minutes and just kind of <laughs> soak that in. Um, my, the first time I moved, th- th- before I moved to Los Angeles, when I was still living in Sacramento and investigating it, mm-hmm. there was a record producer that I'd met, and he said, if you come down to L.A., let me know. And so I made a plan to go down to L.A., and he said, hey, I'm working in this studio, and I went to where he was working in a studio. And when we finished, he said, you want to go over to the house? My wife's making dinner. You want to go to the I said, Sure. He was, he grew up in Fort Worth. Mm. And so he led me, I followed him down Mulholland Drive mm. for the first time. And fell. I fell in love with the, it's, I don't know if you, people who've not been out there, but uh, the hillside where the, like the Hollywood sign is that people are familiar with, that hillside just stretches several more miles west into the Pacific. And along the ridge of that, I'm doing this because the road winds along the ridge of that. Mm. So at one moment you can look over on this side and you can see Hollywood and Los Angeles. And when you look over on this side, you see the San Fernando Valley with this curtain of glittering lights at night. It's just fabulous. So I just fell in love with Mulholland Drive. And uh, I had a lunch date. I had a lunch, not a date. I had a day one day, and I was having lunch on Sunset Boulevard, and I decided to challenge myself because songwriters can write anywhere. Uh, so I finished lunch, and I thought, let me see if I can write. Restaurant wasn't crowded. I wasn't taking up more space. And outside the window, front, uh, it's kind of a sidewalk restaurant, the Hollywood Hills sprang up. Mm-hmm. So I just started that song. And I wrote the entire lyric sitting at that table. And then a bunch of other things had gone on, and I had to just put that in a drawer. And I left it in a drawer for four or five years before in Temple, Texas. I had a songwriting studio. I remembered it, put it in front of the piano, wrote the music. And so it took several years to show up, but the fact that it meant something to you. Oh, yeah. is important to me because the day that you write it, you think, I think this is good, but I'm the only person who thinks that because I'm the only one who knows about it. So it means a lot to hear that oh. it, it reached you. Oh, let's see. Uh, Treat You Right. That's that's a good song, too. I really like um, the sentiment behind it because someone maybe has not been treated right, and you want to be the one right. to do that. And that and that's life. I'd I mean, love that's true. to treat you right if love has done you wrong. Right. That is that's the opening line. I think. Yeah. Uh, my grandmother, uh, my family uh, has piano players throughout the family, 
And uh, my grandmother had a piano that I remember playing on as a kid, but also watching her play things like Mr. Sandman uh, and and some of the songs from her uh, youth. That ended up in my dad's house. And I, I, it's part of the way that I write. I don't plan to write. I just sit at the piano and I started playing stuff on that piano and it had a sound when I played those two or three intervals that became the song. And mm-hmm. I just followed them down. So the second it started, I thought, it was falling out of me. It was coming out pretty easily. And I thought, I don't, I don't know how good this is because it's flowing as opposed to I'm having to work at it. So, But I, I, I appreciate that you like it. Uh, I used a fellow on that song. If you listen to it, if you search for it on, on any of the uh, places where people listen to music on the Internet, who did harmonica on it, and we, he's in Denmark. Really? But I met him when we sang together on a big project, when we sang at the Vatican for the Pope on Christmas Day, 99. That's pretty exciting. So Talek is the fellow's name. And Mm -hmm. so I called Talek and I said, we got this song. Can you record your part and we'll put it back into the song through the magic of, you know, the way it works. Yeah, I don't don't want to gloss over that here. We have a kid from Waco singing before the Pope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's a, I did a I did an episode I, I became friends with a, a, an A-list singer in town, uh, and by A-list I mean on the Michael Jackson tour that did not go out because Michael died. Mm. All four of the backup singers are people that are friends of mine because you just because I, you work around it. But one of the guys and I became really good friends on, uh, along the way, and so we've traded off on projects. Uh, uh, his name is Daryl Fennessy, and the other reason people might know him is he wrote the words for the Frasier theme song, The Toss Salad and Scrambled Eggs. No kidding. So Daryl and I became friends. And so Daryl calls up one day in like October of 99, and he said, hey, how would you like to go to the Vatican and sing for the Pope on Christmas Day? And sure. I, of course, the answer <laughs> is, yeah. <laughs> so we ended up with, there's about... 40 singers from the United States, and, and we uh, sang four or five choral kind of pieces with a 100-piece orchestra. Oh, neat. It was, it was, yeah. well, it was thoroughly fascinating. Your, your, first, your first Woodway days back again. Yes, I was having a, a first <laughs> a little, Woodway cantata. A little at, flashback. At the <laughs> oh, gosh, so many songs, and we're running. I don't know, we run out of time, but the, right. <laughs> we could just go go on and on and on. Um, one another Really poignant song, and it harkens back to what we were talking about earlier. I didn't know you were going. Ah, yeah, I didn't know you were going. Uh, I'd rather keep that, the, the real stuff about that personal. I'd rather keep that private. But uh, there are moments all the time that happen where I, I've learned over time to stay as current as you can with people because you never know when it's the last time that you'll see them. Oh, it's profound, yeah. And if you learn that lesson, you really learn that lesson. So there's, you know, there was a moment where uh, I did not know it was going to be the last time I saw somebody, but fortunately, we ended up on a really terrific moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when they were really gone, I was stunned, and uh, I had to respond to it. So I wrote a song called "I Didn't Know You Were Going." Yeah. Yeah, it's um, 
it has to be therapeutic in a way to be able to write and to. It is a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. At least you can give voice to, I think, in the, in the sense that we all would like to be heard mm-hmm. or heard more clearly. Yeah. Uh, at least there's an illusion of being heard if you can say it or put it into a sentence or yeah. into a word where you yeah. go, you need to know. And maybe you don't need to know. And Texans are fond of pointing at people when they're really <laughs> after right. them. Uh, Robert Weathers. <laughs> yeah. You need to know that I remember you yeah. when I'm not around. Yeah. And you'll go, really? And you go, yeah. So I, from that moment on, I know that you understand that uh, our friendship has value. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to always meet up every week or every day. But even when it doesn't meet up, it continues to have value so that if I don't see you again, I will always have the peace of knowing that you knew how valuable you are to me. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's, that's so important. We've gotten into some really. Yeah, I know you probably deep deep thoughts. I know. Deep thoughts. So let's get even deeper. Okay. (laughs) You know, I, I do like you, you know, this, I like to uh, end these little visits with a questionnaire similar to the one, the late great James Lipton would use on inside the actor's studio. And so here's my take on it. What is your favorite word i like that james lipson uh moment and when i heard him ask that question what's your favorite word i thought grace is my favorite word yeah and so i wrote a song called grace is my favorite word as as a result of that that's a short answer and a long and that's another good song thank you yeah just yeah just listening to it grace is my favorite word amazon uh, i just said play some jd hinton music and that was the first one that popped up great First one that popped up. Uh, your least favorite word, then? It's two words. It's one thought, but it's two words. Mm-hmm. It's over. I hate, I hate the finality yeah. that there's no other movement after over. So when somebody goes, it's over, you go, oh, it's over. No. So mm. that's my least favorite. What turns you on creatively or spiritually or emotionally? Mm. Uh, I started to say music certainly does. Mm-hmm. You know, on the way here, I stopped and had a uh, got a little coffee at a place, and I walked in, and they were playing. On, I don't remember which song it was, but it was a Led Zeppelin song, and it you know the middle of the day in a Waco, Texas coffee shop to hear Led Zeppelin. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Took you back, right? Oh, well, it, and it also takes me forward. It, <laughs> I hear all the stuff that they're doing, and it makes me think of all the other things I can do. Yeah. So I, uh, music is a pretty strong thing. Color is a, a, sometime will grab you as well. Yeah, so. yeah. Color, blue is your favorite color, I blue think. Blue is my favorite color. <laughs> a line from a song. Um, what turns you off creatively or spiritually or emotionally? Um, ignorance. Yeah. Because you don't have to stay that way. No, you can, <laughs> you, you just don't, if you don't know yeah. something, you can still learn, but, and maybe willful ignorance is probably a better answer. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What sound do you love the most? Besides I, Led Zeppelin. <laughs> yeah. I, I think this, I think for me, I, I, I've thought of this before, but I, I think silence is a sound. 
I've heard that before from people. And so for me, everything springs out of the silence. And so if I, if you're in silence, there's, I feel like there's more to come. Mm, Okay. What sound do you hate? Hmm. Uh, car crashes. Oh, yeah. And what other profession did you want to try? <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm really kind of at a, a tremendous loss of that. I, I would, I, I, I've jokingly said golf. Oh, a pro uh, golfer, huh? Huh? You, do you like to play a lot of yeah, golf? Yeah, I'm a bad golfer. I mean, I mean I'm a really, I'm so average i'm bad you know my game is pars and eights uh but i like the game and i like there are things about creativity that i think i discover all the time in how you play golf Mm -hmm. so that'd be a cool thing and maybe beyond that in recent years because of sitting around with television and cable uh being a chef might be fun oh gosh yeah yeah they do make it look look fun what job do you know you would not want to do accountant yeah I've heard that before too. <laughs> well, but but the people who are good at it, it's not work to them. They can see it. It's in Technicolor. They well, love the puzzle that's or, involved. Right, right, exactly. That's that's what I've heard recently. That 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 joy of accomplishment that put it all together and everything zeroes right. out. I'm like, Mm-mm, no. <laughs> it's a mystery to me, and so it's not fun for me to do. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I, I, I'm not trying to badmouth people who chose accounting. Oh, no, we I'm need like, them. We, uh, I love I'm the not, fact they're I out there. Like, that'd be bad for me. Yeah. Finally, what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome to the eighth day. And I do love Robin Williams' answer to that, by the I way. I know. We had talked about this some time ago that uh, I saw him on Inside the Actor Studio, and his response was, you hear so soon. So soon. And he has that little impish little, like, mm-hmm. like uh, you know, whoosh, whoosh, yeah. and I'm going, yeah, that's Robin. Yeah. That's pure Robin, actually. Yeah, yeah. But, well, folks can uh, find your music where? Tell them where. Uh, if you look anywhere on the Internet that you get music streaming, downloading, it's all J.D. Hinton yeah. music. Uh, there's also a J.D. Hinton music.com that can tell you how to find all this stuff. So that's how you can do it. And you're active on social media as well. Thoroughly active on social media. So you can follow on Facebook, Instagram. Please, if you go to YouTube and and search for me or my songs, hit subscribe. That helps me a ton. Follows, likes in the internet world is tremendous. Yeah, when you're here in Texas, got it. when are you going to do a show here? Oh, well, I don't know the answer to that. I'm planning to do a show in Los Angeles for the first time in a couple of years in April. So maybe before the end of summer. That'd be great. Come on back. Somewhere in Texas. That's right. Yeah, thank you. J.D. Hinton, Dave Hinton, my sweet friend. friend. Yeah, thanks for being with us. And thank thank you you. for being with us. Join us again. Bye-bye. Central Texas Life with Ann Harder is part of the Rogue Media family. Be sure to check out our other shows at roguemedianetwork.com. Please rate this show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Join us again soon for more Central Texas Life with Ann Harder.